0: Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is from Luke one thirty nine through 56. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, In the thoughts of their hearts, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever, and Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of God.
1: Good morning, church.
2: This is the final Sunday before
1: Christmas. You know what that means? Nothing. (laughs)
2: It's 2020. And every day pretty much looks the same, right? Usually, you would expect on the weekend before Christmas for... All the stores to be packed, for the malls to be full, for us to be going back and forth. There's Christmas parties and and school programs and there's none of that, is there? Stores are not packed, except the grocery stores. The malls are empty, no Christmas parties, except weird Zoom Christmas parties. To make it worse, we had hoped this past week for some snow, right? Well, maybe, I don't know, we have kids at home, and so, like, looking, they're looking for anything to give them a little hope, and, and there was some hope that we would have snow this week. And we got, what, a dusting? I'm not bitter. <laughs> you know, the truth is, as James said, the holiday, this holiday, the holiday season this year feels and looks different, right? So much has changed of what we do and now, COVID has impacted our most treasured holiday. And for most of us, that's really hard. And so, here we are doing this series called Peace on Earth. And it might feel like there's a disconnect there, guys, right? Look around you. There's really not peace. And you're telling us peace on earth, it feels like a disconnect. And I'm here to tell you there's not. There's not, because the account of Jesus' birth actually took place in a time when there was great turmoil and pain. You have this barren elderly woman named Elizabeth, who is now pregnant. You have her husband, Zechariah, who's a priest, and and the angel of God shuts his mouth and he's mute because of his unbelief. You have this peasant girl who is pregnant out of wedlock. And you have rulers who are oppressive like King Herod who's going to, in just a little while after Jesus is born, murder all the babies of a particular region all because he's trying to get rid of one child. You see, they know what it's like to live in turmoil and struggle and pain. And yet throughout this story, we hear of God announcing what? Peace. Peace. We heard it in the Old Testament in the last two weeks in Micah and Isaiah. A light is going to shine in the darkness. We hear it in Mary's song today. On Christmas Eve, we're going to hear the angels announce to the shepherds, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. We hear of this peace. God keeps announcing peace with the coming of Jesus. Don't you see what Pastor Brady said last week is so true? We think peace is found in the removal of darkness. That's not true. Cuz it don't ever happen. Have you ever been in a dark room and tried to remove the darkness? Try it. You can't do it. You can't remove darkness. What do you do with the darkness? How do you change it? You shine light in it. That's how you dispel darkness. Peace is not a state of mind. Peace is not a a set of circumstances. It is a person. It is the entrance of a person. It is the arrival of Jesus, the Prince of Peace. That is why Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who believes in me will not
1: walk in darkness, but have the light of life. That's him. Which means peace is possible even
2: in the midst of a messed up world, a crazy world. In fact, that's the point of Christmas. God shows up in the, in, the, in the mess, in the turmoil. Today we're looking at Luke chapter 1, Mary's song. Mary shows us what it looks like to worship God in the darkness. More than that, she shows us what, what I'm gonna say, what I'm gonna argue is, is actually counterintuitive, and that is this. We actually can worship our way to peace. You can worship your way to peace. You worship the God who is peace so you can experience His peace. Let me show you what I mean by that. Lesson number one. Peace prevails in hearts that are in awe of God. We pick up the story after Mary has been visited by the angel. His name is Gabriel. And he tells her that he has come with good news and that she'll conceive and give birth to a child and she said, and he said, you'll name him Jesus. He'll be the son of God. He'll reign on the throne of his father, David. And this is stunning news for a number of reasons. First of all, Mary has never been with a man. She's only engaged to be married to Joseph. She's a peasant teenager, likely 13, 14 years old, from an obscure town. There's no reason
1: why Mary should be uh, visited by Gabriel and, and who says, Oh, favored one. You're going to carry in your womb the hope of the world. The Messiah King.
2: She doesn't understand. She even asks, how can this be? But she submits to the Lord's plan. And then what she does is she rushes to her cousin Elizabeth's house who is beyond childbearing years and now she's pregnant miraculously with John the Baptist and so here you have these two women one pregnant before her time one pregnant after her time and yet God has miraculously provided for both of them and they they're just overwhelmed with joy and humility both of them are just they just can't believe God would work in their lives in this way can you imagine the the three greatest decades of human history are about to unfold, and God chooses these two poor, obscure women to make it happen. That's what Mary's feeling. That's what she's sensing, and, it, and, it's, and it's, it's mind-boggling to her. And so what she does in response to this is she sings the first Christmas carol. This is a song. Notice Mary's Song of Praise is probably what the title says in your Bible. It is poetry. It is it, She likely sang it. It's meant to be uh, announced in a beautiful way. She is praising God and notice first she starts by praising God for what he has done for her personally. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul, meaning my, my, my inner being, everything that I am, who I, who I am at the deepest core, that uh, it, it's bubbling up from there to magnify God. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She is worshiping God with her whole being. She is absolutely amazed that God would extend grace to her. Listen, this should be the posture of every genuine Christian. Every one of us is, as, is just as undeserving and insignificant as Mary. It should shock us that God will look on any of us as sinful and flawed as we are and give us the greatest gift of all, forgiveness and life through Jesus. Jesus. Anyone who truly understands the Gospel should have a hint of wonder, just a hint of surprise, when you think about, I'm a Christian? Me? I know, as long, you know what, when you meet a new Christian, right, when when I've sat down with someone and they first get it, they first understand the gospel, and they've turned to Christ, they realize everything they've done, and especially people who, you know, they've been around the block a, lo- a little bit, and they know they've done some, some messed up stuff, and they realize, you mean I'm forgiven? You mean that's, that's never going to be held against me? You mean I'm going to heaven? You mean right now God is with me? And there's just incredible joy and wonder, wow! It's amazing! I love being around new Christians. And then you, you know,
1: you, become a, you, you stay a Christian for a little while. And then you start to lose that wonder, don't you? You
2: start to just presume, yeah, I'm a Christian. When every day you could wake up and go, I, I, I'm a Christian. Still. I'm still his son. I'm still his daughter. He, he's adopted me and
1: he can never let me go. this is truly remarkable. Are you in awe that you're a Christian, that
2: God saved you? You want experience peace this morning, during the season, in this crazy world, this crazy year? It starts with an awe of God, that He would rescue you. What does it mean to be a Christian? A lot of people think that going to church or following the Ten Commandments or living a moral life is what it means to be a Christian. And our church, we engage in our community every year in all kinds of events. And we try to encourage people to, to to talk about their spiritual background, what they believe. And man, our community, the prevailing view of our community is this sentiment. Do you think you're a Christian? Do you think you're going to heaven? Yes. Why? Because I'm a good person. It doesn't matter. You think, guys, you guys say it all the time. Don't. No, our community, it is. Why? Because it's what every religion teaches. You say, how do you know that? I studied comparative religious studies at the University of Maryland and, and I'm reading all these textbooks. It was I got a minor in it and it is what every, almost every other religion teaches that you are accepted by a higher being, by God, by a deity for what you do for that deity. And what I'm saying and what the Bible is saying and what Mary is understanding and what she's, she's really, really just deeply appreciating is that Christianity is not what you do for God. It's what God has done for you
1: it's what he's already done for you in the person and work in Jesus of Jesus and when you understand that
2: when you understand that that in Christianity it's backwards the king becomes a servant so that you can be sons and daughters of the king you will stand in awe you will have a sense of wonder you will be like, wow, God has done that for me. He came to earth for me. He didn't just come to earth for me, He died for me. Mary is overwhelmed that God would even notice her, let alone use her.
1: That's 40, verse 48. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Remember, Mary is a nobody, she's poor. How do I know that? Because when
2: Mary and Joseph go to offer the sacrifices after Jesus is born, they can't offer the normal sacrifice. They have to offer the one that's made provision for for those who are poor.
1: She's uneducated. She's a teenage girl who's now pregnant and not married. And yet she says,
2: God has looked upon me. The word look meaning he has set his love on me.
1: Listen, this girl had a lot that she could worry about. She doesn't know if Joseph will even marry her now. He actually thought about leaving her. Think about her reputation in the community after this. Not just like after
2: it blows over, like the rest of her life.
1: She will never be like the other women, ever. Think of the names they're gonna call her. It doesn't make sense to us, right? Because nowadays this is this is fine, this is normal, it's common, it's celebrated. In this day, you're that's it, you're done. You got a, you got an A on your on your chest the rest of your life. And yet she says, God, you have shown your love to me.
2: A peasant girl, behold, I am the servant of the Lord, verse 38. In other words, she says, God, whatever is in my hands, I believe you have graciously placed those things there, and so I will trust you. You see, we have all, all of us have things in our hands. And we have a choice to make. We can acknowledge that those things come from God. They belong to God. My job, my career, my family, my children my future my health my circumstances god god has placed them there. they belong to god god help me steward them well
1: this is the posture that says my thy kingdom come thy will be done but there's another option you have things in your hand your money your health your stuff whatever your, your family the other option is to say
2: i'm in control That these things belong to me, and these things are in my hand, are mine by right. And listen, we do this all the time. Our pride leads us to play God. And we think that we are a better God than God is. We would never say that, right? Because no, no no, no respectable Christian would ever say that. But anytime time you think you know what's best for you and the people around you, you are now playing God. You think that if you were in charge, you would do a better job than God would. And yet what you and I don't realize is when we assume the role of God in our lives, when we assume we can be in control and that we are in control, you know what we're doing? We're, first of all, we're terrible at being God. I, we know that. Second of all, we're just enslaving ourselves to fear and anxiety and anger and self-doubt
1: because who could ever deal with the pressure of being in control? Mary chooses the one option, the first option. She even says in verse 51, he
2: has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. God won't let you think that you're a better God than he is. Because he knows why you say, well, that's mean, right? He gets because he's that's because he's he wants all the control. No, you know why he does that? You know why he doesn't let you in control and think you're in control? Because he knows that if you act like you're in control,
1: you'll never experience the peace that he came to offer you. And so Mary says, "I am, I am God's servant." She chooses the first option.
2: She could have said, "God, what in the world are you doing? I am a child myself, and now I'm going to bring a child into the world." Instead, she says, You've looked on the humblest state of your servant. She believed everything in her hand is coming from God. And that perspective guards her heart
1: from worry and it frees her heart to worship. And that's exactly what she's doing. She's worshiping. She's saying, God, I trust you. I don't understand you. She even
2: said to Gabriel, How can this be? but that doesn't hinder her worship. It actually fuels her worship. Her lack of understanding doesn't hinder her worship. It fuels her worship. When you can say, I am the Lord's servant, it will change your heart. It will change your perspective. It will allow you to say, thank you God for all you've placed in my hands. It's a gift from you. But it also lets you say, God, even if you take that thing out of my hand, even if you take it away, I'm not going to be thankful for that because that stinks, but I will be
1: thankful that even if you don't let me hold that thing, that you are holding me. And it will hurt deeply if he takes that thing away. But you can still say, God, you are my hope. You are my strength. You are that thing that you will never take away. Christian, God knows what you are going through. He knows. He knew what He was calling Mary to endure. And He knows what He's calling you and I to endure. And He will be with you through it. What are you worried about today? What distresses you? Have you learned to worship God in the midst of whatever you're going through? I don't say this lightly. Because you might say, I don't feel like worshiping. I get it. I've had deeply painful seasons in my life, and I've shared those with you, where I did not feel like worshiping. One thing that I have learned in my suffering And in my
2: exploring suffering and death when I took a sabbatical two summers ago,
1: you don't feel your way into worship. You worship your way into worship. You see, when you worship God, when you stand in awe of God, God's peace enters in. Worship invites light into the darkness. Worship invites light into the darkness.
2: If you're in darkness, again, don't go trying to remove the darkness. You've got to bring light in. How
1: do you do that? You worship the God who is light. Often you must sing it before you feel it. Often you must seek His presence before you feel His presence. And
2: I wish it was the opposite, but this is the way God has designed us to walk by faith and not by,
1: not by sight. Lesson two, in the turmoil of life or the struggles of life, the disappointments of life, God's character is still worthy of your worship. That's what Mary shows us here.
2: That in the, in the turmoil that is her life now, and it is, we get all the joy here. We see all the, like, the beautiful stuff.
1: We forget her life is ruined from an earthly perspective. She still believes God's character is still worthy of worship. She says in these verses,
2: God is mighty. She worships Him him as mighty or powerful. She worships Him as holy. And she worships Him as merciful. You see, ultimately, the ultimate purpose of Christmas is to show us what God is like. Isn't that why he comes? To show us what he's like? Mary knows that he has worked powerfully in her life. And he praises God in verse 49. For his power, he is, for he who is mighty has done great things. He is, Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. She is worshiping God because he is not just powerful, but all powerful. Meaning he is mighty, that nothing is impossible for him as Gabriel told her. She realizes only God can cause a virgin to conceive a child. Now that belief was not automatic. It took help from Gabriel to remind her of God's character. Gabriel said, Mary, when she said, how can this be? She said, remember, nothing is impossible with God. And She said, okay, I I believe, I don't understand, but I believe. He's all-powerful. You said, there are a lot of people today who say, I could never believe that a Jewish baby born 2,000 years ago was the uncreated creator. How could I believe that? That he was God incarnate in the flesh. How could I ever believe that? That's antiquated. That, 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 that's, that's so strange. And they, people say that today as if that's a modern conception, that that's, a, that that's a, a big hump to get over now. But back then, of course, they believed it, right? These are unintelligent people. No, Mary had to ask Gabriel,
1: how can this be? Because she knows how things work. And he reminds her, we have a God for whom nothing is impossible. Do you believe in that kind of God?
2: First of all, do you even believe in God? If you don't, then the whole Jesus thing probably doesn't make much sense anyway. But if you believe in God this morning, isn't it? No matter, maybe you don't believe in the God of the Bible, but you believe in a higher being, a, 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 a power. Maybe, maybe he's all powerful. I don't know. But, but, but if he is all powerful, if you believe in a God,
1: can't you believe in a God who became a baby? If nothing is impossible for him, can you believe
2: that it's not impossible for him to come down in human flesh? If you can't believe that, then what you're really saying is you don't believe in a God who's all-powerful. You don't believe in a Creator who is greater than His creation. But if He is all-powerful, if He is almighty,
1: that means the ultimate demonstration of His power, ironically, was in Him becoming a weak, helpless baby.
2: Do you believe God is all-powerful, not just for Mary, but for you in your situation? That's the point. What does this mean for us? She believed he was all powerful and could do the impossible. Do you believe that same God is in control of your life today? Of your family, of your situation, of your health, of your finances, of your relationships? Do you need to be reminded today that nothing is impossible for him? I don't know what he's going to do because I'm not God. But I do know
1: that nothing is impossible for God. Mary worships God because He is also holy.
2: Verse 49, He was mighty has done great things for me, and holy is His name. Holy means He's perfect. God is pure. He lacks nothing. He has no sin and is opposed to sin. Our struggle is that we are used to the sin around us and within us, aren't we? We can't even comprehend holiness because we've never experienced it. Ever. We're used to the sin of pride, of hatred, of racism, of division, of immorality. We're used to it. But God never gets used to sin. And the reason Jesus came is because we are sinful and we have rejected God for lesser gods. And because God is holy, His nature demands that sin be punished. That's what Jesus came to do. That's what Mary is rejoicing. She says in verse 47 My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. I know some of our friends who would say, You know, Mary
1: never sinned. No. You don't need a Savior unless you need saving from something. She's worshiping God for his holiness. Are you? Are you worshiping a God who is holy? Do you realize why that's so valuable? That your God doesn't make mistakes? She worships God because He's merciful. Merciful. Meaning, He doesn't treat us the way our sin deserves. That He shows
2: us loyal love. That He has affection for us. Verse 50. And His mercy... You see, in verses forty-six to forty-nine, she's talking about herself, what he's got, God's done for her. But in fifty, she's expanding it to say, "This is not just for me. His mercy is for all those who fear him, from generation to generation. He doesn't treat us the way our sins deserve." But the word for mercy here is richer than that. It, it, I, think it, I think she's hearkening back to the Old Testament idea and picture of mercy. When the Old Testament talks about mercy, it doesn't just mean, oh, He's kind to us. It signifies His loyal love, His his chesed, his His covenant love, His faithfulness, His graciousness. God is kinder to us than we are to ourselves. If you're struggling to worship God for His mercy, Maybe start for the things that start from the things that you take for granted. I, I prayed in my prayer. Did you
1: wake up this morning with a roof over your head? I didn't ask how big it was. Did you wake up this morning, relatively warm? Did you go get food in your own house? How many miles did you walk to get clean water? Did you turn on a shower? Was it warm? Is that not stunning to you? Of course not, because we do it every day. Oh, the mercies of God. His mercies are new every morning. And sometimes His mercies are the same things He keeps giving us every morning. Praise him for his great mercy. Praise him that he gives us what we don't
2: deserve and doesn't give us what we do deserve. You see, because God is, here's how this all fits together. Because God is holy, he must do something about our sin. He cannot look on sin and do nothing. And because God is mighty, he is able to do something about our sin. And because God is merciful, he is willing to do something about our sin. And that's why Jesus has come. That's what Mary is singing about and rejoicing about. You see, she, she knows our lives are not defined by our, our faults or our wounds. And no matter what your circumstances look like, you still have a God. We still have a God who is holy and mighty and merciful. Can you and I worship the character of God today? There is so much wrong in our world. But don't also forget there is so much right with our God. Many of us spend way more time talking about, thinking about, feeling what is wrong with the world, and very little time worshiping God for what is right with Him. And we wonder why we're
1: worried and miserable and so distraught. In the midst of the turmoil, we can worship the character of God. Lesson three. You will experience peace when you trust the plan of God. God's plan isn't just to bless Mary through the birth of Jesus. His plan is to bless all people through this birth. That's what she's celebrating. That's what she's beginning to understand. And that's
2: been God's plan all along. That's why she brings up Abraham. The promises God made to Abraham and to Israel. You see, God spoke to Abraham several thousands of years earlier uh, before Mary even sang the song. And God said to Abraham, who had no child, his wife was not able to get pregnant, Abraham and Sarah. And, he sa- and God says to Abraham, look at the stars in the sky, Abraham. Start counting them. And he's like, okay. And you know, whatever number he gets to, and he's like, I don't know any numbers past that.
1: And God says, okay, now. Now know this, you're going to have more descendants than the stars in the sky. But I don't, I, don't,
2: I don't have a... Yeah, but you are going to. You trust my plan. You don't need to know my timing, but
1: trust my plan. That's what he promised Abraham and he made promises to Israel. And yet, it's been
2: 400 years... From Mary singing the song, it's been 400 years since the last prophet, since God spoke to his people through Malachi. 400 years
1: of painful silence. Ever been there? Ever been waiting for God to come through for you?
2: It was natural for people in Mary's day to say, surely God has forgotten his promises.
1: It's been been too long. This is the meaning of Christmas. This is the meaning of Christmas. God never forgets his promises. But there's a catch. He can't be fitted into our time frame. We ought to rejoice. God will
2: always fulfill his promise. Whatever he says he will do, he has done or will do. Period. But look, Christmas is not about God making your life better or happier if you accept him. No, Christmas is showing us that God keeps his promises, but he will do it
1: in his timing and his way. Can you keep trusting him in your waiting? Waiting is so hard. We start to doubt ourselves. We start to doubt God. Mary is doing something here that is really remarkable. She's describing the great reversal of God. She, notice what she says.
2: God, you're, you're, gonna, you're humbling the proud and you're lifting up the humble. Mary says, God fills the hungry but sends the rich away empty. If you look at history, you find that those who are in charge... Those who have power are generally those who are wealthy and powerful, right? Those who are in charge generally are wealthy and powerful. Nothing wrong with wealth and power. The problem is those who have wealth and power often give in to pride because of their wealth and power, and that leads to oppression. That's just, that's just history, right? I'm not, I hope I'm not saying anything you're like, that's radical, that's, that's, a political, that's not a political statement. That is history, Right? Pastor Brady, is that right? He's the history teacher. He knows, right? There's, a, there's a, a
1: professional support. Expert witness has affirmed what I just said. And that's Mary's world, right? Herod is oppressing the people.
2: He's living in the, in the opulence of wealth
1: while people are suffering. He, he says a word and babies are massacred. It's the world we're living in too. And yet she tells God's story. She says, ha, the great reversal has come.
2: The rich are made empty. The hungry are filled. You see, at the incarnation of Jesus, God launched his great plan of
1: reversal. But it's an already and not yet reversal. Jesus, The arrival of
2: Jesus begins the reversal of the world system. He starts undoing the the effect, the curse of sin. He he comes to make His blessing flow far as the curse is found. We sing it. Do you you ever think about what what those songs mean? We live in the tension, already not yet. And one of the temptations in our waiting is to want to control God's timing of His reversal. We see corruption. Well, then do something, God. Do the, rever- do the thing you said you're going to do and do it right now. And God says, whoa, whoa, who's in control? Are you at my advisor? Do I need advisors anymore, ever? No, no, nope. last I checked, I wrote, I, I wrote it all. We want God to finalize his reversal plans now. And when he doesn't, our hearts will grow cold and bitter because we see the wicked prospering. We see injustice. We see suffering. And some of us are mad. Listen, some of us are mad at God for not delivering on promises that
1: He actually never made. God has not promised that if you follow Him, your life would be
2: health and wealth. He has not promised that following Him would be a piece of cake. He said, in this world you will have trouble. In this world, you will have disappointment and hardship and health struggles and relational struggles. In this world, you will be betrayed. He's talking about all those things. It's all wrapped up in the world trouble. And then he says,
1: But be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. It's already, but not yet. He won the victory, but it's not fully here. What Mary is celebrating in
2: God's reversal, it doesn't happen for her immediately. She continues to be poor and ostracized. Jesus is born in a barn, or a rock cutout or some weird thing. She still has to run from Herod. You would think, all generations will call me blessed. Then why am I running away to Egypt God with my little baby
1: so that I'm not, so he's not killed by Herod? Is that your blessing? Is that your mercy? But you know what she did? You know why why all generations will call her blessed? I believe she kept on singing and believing. How do I know? Because if you look at the words of Jesus,
2: and if you look at the words of Mary's other son, James, in the book of James, you, you actually hear echoes of this song. Mary says, all generations will call me blessed, and the hungry will be filled. Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the hungry, for they shall be filled. Hmm. Mary says, God has brought down the mighty and has exalted the
1: humble. And James says, humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Where did they hear that? Obviously it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, but could it be that, that, that
2: echoes of these truths came down from their mom who kept singing this song and trusting God's plan? It's likely Mary told the story of God's reversal by singing, maybe singing in her home, reminding her family of God's faithfulness even while she waited for the story to come true, even while she waited for God's great reversal to come, and yet she struggled to understand God's plan. When Jesus was was, was doing his thing, ministering, at one point she was like, ah, this doesn't seem right. And then it all came to a head when she had to sit and watch her son be tortured on a cross.
1: And she could do nothing except watch her boy die. Maybe she wasn't singing anymore. Maybe she was wondering, God, you've promised mercy on those who fear you. You promised to help Israel. Why does it have to be like this? You see, she was witnessing the greatest reversal of all. God the Son, who had
2: all power and authority, humbled himself not just to becoming a baby. But growing up like us, dealing with all the struggles, all the mess like we had, enduring all the temptation and not giving in to sin, which is actually worse than giving in to sin. He endured further temptation than we ever endured, and yet he went to the cross and died the death you and I should have died. And in his humiliation, the great rescue plan was being accomplished because when Jesus was on the cross, sin's curse was being broken for all who would put their trust in him. And then three days later, Mary got to see with her own eyes the great reversal, the evidence of the great reversal, when Jesus walked out of the tomb alive, resurrected from the dead, showing his great power over sin and death. And maybe for the first time, after seeing her risen king, she bowed and sang this very song, My soul magnifies the Lord. Christian, what would it be like for you to have a song like this in your waiting? That would sustain you in all the ups and downs of life. A song that would help you rest in the peace of trusting in God's plan. There are some of you here today who came in rejoicing. Christmas has filled your heart with peace and hope. And no matter what's happening this year, you've been thankful for God's mercy. You're thankful to be alive. You're thankful to be in His
1: family. Praise God. That's awesome. Rejoice in the God of your salvation. It is good to do that. But others of you I know came in with pain. And the losses you have felt are exceedingly deep.
2: You're grieving. You're disappointed. Some of you came in you're ashamed of your sin. And yet you showed up. You, you also showed up. You also showed up and you're listening to God's word, and you're singing, and you're praying, and it took courage for you to simply show up. Listen, what we do when we gather like this is to remind ourselves of God's great reversal story, and we need a reminding over and over again. Jesus has invited us into his story, a story that is compelling enough to overcome all of our greatest failures and all of our strongest doubts. It's the
1: only story in the world that can turn our sorrow into true hope. It's the only story that can give us peace. If you're not a Christian today, maybe you've been exploring Christianity,
2: maybe you're sitting right at home with your, your, your wife, your husband, your children, someone invited you, maybe you're here this morning because someone said, please come to church. Listen, what you need most today what you need most this Christmas, what you need most in 2020, what you need most in the middle of a pandemic is not a relationship or more money or a vaccine or a better life. Those things are fine. What you need most is a Savior. And I'm, a- I'm just asking you, what, would, what is preventing you from right now turning from whatever you've been looking to to be your God, to be the thing that you say, "This is I have to, what do you, t- what will what, what it would take for you to say, Jesus, I trust you with my life? I know you came and
1: died. I believe the evidence is compelling that you rose from the dead, which means you are our King. May Christmas fill each one of us with this awe surpassing peace in the midst
2: of the darkness, a confidence that God will keep His promises. You know why? Because one day the great reversal will be complete. One day, and I ho- and I pray it soon. One day, listen, it'll it'll come soon enough. We don't know when. One day, Jesus will come, and our hope will be reality, and there will be everlasting and ever-increasing joy. And whatever the thing is that you say, I've been waiting for this thing to be gone, it will be gone. And and I say this over and over again. The first moment you are with Jesus will overcome however many years of pain you've had here on earth. When, he, when we've spent 10,000 years with Jesus, shining like the sun, we're going to look back on our earthly journey, on all the dark days, on all the pain, on
1: all the sorrow, and we will still marvel at the great reversal, which he has done. It'll be glorious. Knowing that is true, because you knowing that is true, what he's already done,
2: will you worship God this Christmas? where you worship the God of peace and
1: experience His peace. Let's pray. Lord, with Mary, we also just marvel right now. We, we're, not, we're not smart enough to have thought up a plan like you have. Lord,
2: any plan that we would have come up with to save the world, to save ourselves, would be automatically filled with self preservation, selfishness. We admit our plans for our own lives are flawed. How could we ever imagine that we could figure out how the world should work? And so, Lord, we're here this morning to say, We trust you. We don't understand you, Lord, and quite frankly, your plans seem so strange to us. As strange as, a, as, as you coming as a king, but as a baby. As strange as allowing us to experience all the heartache, all the pain. But Lord, we trust your heart. When we don't understand your plans, we trust your heart. Because we know your heart is love. And you showed us your love, the extent of your love, when your own Son didn't just come to teach us, to proclaim the kingdom, but to die for us and and make a way for us to be made right with God. I pray that there would be some right now who would turn from their sin, turn from themselves, and put their faith in Jesus and receive Him as Savior. I pray there be some this morning who would find a level of encouragement and hope and strength to keep pressing on, to say, tomorrow I will keep following you. I will keep trusting you. Jesus, would you be the peace, the light in our darkness that so many of us need today? We praise you because light has come. We praise you and we will worship you because we know we, we, we can worship our way into a peace that you promise.